And help me welcome our internet audience. God bless you guys. Glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Attention all men. Tonight, 6 o'clock, right here in this room. Be there or be, be here or be square. That didn't rhyme, but, but be here. And uh, 6 o'clock, we're going to have a men's fight rally. Do you remember like in 7th grade, there'd be a fight at your junior high, and they'd fight, 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 and you know, and everybody run to it. So y'all run to tonight, okay? There's not going to be an actual fight, but we're going to talk to you about how to fight and win uh, regarding the things that really do matter. And guys, this matters. This is an important, important night. We're going to be launching five weeks of men's groups. You don't have to already be in a group or whatever to come tonight. Come, though, and be a part of it. We've got some incredible things that we're going to be doing. I'm going to be sharing uh, the word with you, a real particular word for men tonight. And then we have a meal included, and it's all free, okay? So, guys, get out and come out here and be here at uh, 6 o'clock. Be here before 6, and you can hang out uh, with a few guys as well. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be an awesome night tonight. Amen? Amen? All right. And, ladies, make your guys come. Okay, you have ways, you have ways, and you can just give them that look and make them come and, and, and get all the guys that here tonight, amen? All right, uh, also today we are launching uh, small groups, a new semester of small groups, and I want to pray over the leaders here in just a moment, but first of all, let me tell you why we're doing small, small groups. You've heard me say this before, but this is at the heart of it, and we have to know this, every one of us have to know this. The most important growth in health in your life is first of all spiritual. Okay, it seems to be a news flash for somebody. The most important health and growth in your life has to be spiritual. Spiritual is first, and it will impact every other thing. As you, as you prosper on the inside, things are going to go better on the outside. It's just vital. No matter what comes on the earth, it's that inner strength that's going to hold you. And so health and growth spiritually. For you to grow and to be healthy spiritually, there are three settings that you have to regularly get yourself into. The first one I call all alone. Everybody say all alone. You have to get alone with God. Don't be afraid to do that. You get alone with God. I can remember in second grade, we lived just a few blocks away from my elementary school. I forgot my lunchbox. It's a teacher's work day. My second grade teacher hated me, and I didn't like her much more. And, and my mom said, where's your lunchbox? I said, I think I forgot. She said, get on your bike and go get it. And I remember riding up to the school and going into the classroom. It's just going to be me and my teacher. I'm just like trying to sneak in as she looked down over those little glasses, you know, so, but God is not like that at all. Okay. And you need not fear, but you must have time alone with God. It's been said that solitude is full of God and you want to have some rich times of God. And let me say this to you. There are things that happen when you're all alone with God that do not, cannot happen in any other setting of your life. You have to have that all alone. Second setting I call all together. Everybody say all together. And that's what we're doing right now. Scripture tells us to make sure that we don't forsake getting together like this and really make sure of that as you see the day approaching. So I'm, I'm catching from Scripture. We really need to make sure that we're getting all together every time that we can. Amen? And something happens in this setting that cannot, will not happen in any other setting. Uh, that's why we say around here church days affect the rest of your days. And uh, so it's vital that you're all alone, you're all together. And the third setting, very vital, is together. Everybody say together. And that is up close with a few people. You have to have that setting as well. We believe that real life change happens in the context of relationships. Again, in that setting of together, 
There are things that can happen there that can and will happen there that, that cannot, will not happen in any other setting. And you need to get in that setting where you can know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served, and, and telling you that life change happens in that, in that proximity. And that's why we have groups, and we believe so strongly in groups, and we're encouraging you to get into groups. Well, we're launching our fall semester of groups, and uh, if you're not in one already... I encourage you to get in one. It's not too late to do that. You can go online, and as Pastor Sean says, says, you can shop groups and see what we have, or you can go out to the hub. They have listings and people to help you. We have every kind of group. We have Bible study groups and common interest groups and you name it. They're meeting all over the place in businesses, restaurants, houses, uh, here at the church, just all over the place. And uh, one of them actually meets a lot of times on rivers. It's a kayak group. And I think there's two of them, actually. But, but we've got every kind of group, and it's, it's just the value of that coming together. And so I want to encourage you uh, to get into a group. The reason that most people say why they're not in a group is, well, I've never been in one before. And that's just really a horrible answer, you know. And so uh, I really cannot encourage you enough to get into a group. Well, we have a, uh, I think we have about 160 or so groups that we're launching. And uh, we've had leaders in all of the groups today. A lot of them have on these shirts today. Could I have all the leaders stand up? First of all, I want to thank you publicly for leading groups. So can we, let's thank some of these leaders. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And I want to pray. And I want to pray for the leaders just real quick. Indulge me, will you? Father, thank you for these leaders that have stepped out. And anytime we step out for you, you step out with us. And I pray that you help them. You give them favor. You give them courage. And you just pour into them life that they can pour into those in their group. And we do believe that life change is going to take place and lives will never, ever be the same. And I just, Lord, I just think there's no greater reward than serving you. And I pray that they feel that reward. Thank you for them. Thank you for the groups they'll lead and the people and the lives and the families that will be impacted. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, leaders, again. You may be seated. All right. Well, does anybody know the name of the series that we're in right now? All right, Four Cups. And we started this last week, and we're going to continue on this week, and we have another few weeks on this. Let me give you a little bit of background so um, we can tap into this here. And at the close of service today, we're going to be receiving communion, and so communion is related to this. Um, For about 3,500 years, um, the Jewish people have celebrated or... uh, observed a, what is called a Passover Seder. It's a ceremonial meal. It's a celebration uh, regarding Passover. Now, let me back up and tell you what Passover is. It, this is celebrating the exodus or the leaving of the children of Israel out from under the bondage of Egypt. And as they came out, God did some mighty things to get Pharaoh's attention. And you remember Moses said, let my people let them go. And so uh, in doing all of that, one of the things that happened toward the end of this, which was a biggie, the Lord sent word that a death angel was going to come. And in order for you to not be impacted by that regarding your children, that you were to take the blood of a lamb, follow the metaphor here, the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of, of your house. And then the death angel would pass over. And it's such a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, shedding his blood for us so that we are not, we're not dead forever, but we can live and have this newness of life. Well, they have celebrated that now for over 3,500 years. 
And uh, over the course of time and tradition, uh, many who observe the Passover Seder will receive from four cups, four cups. Some will use four different cups representing four different things, and that's what we're talking about in this series. And others will use one cup, and they'll receive, like, uh, not using drinking terms, but like four toasts uh, of that cup to commemorate four different very important things. And those four cups actually represent four promises. Those four cups are four promises. These promises are woven throughout Scripture. God didn't intend them just for them. He intends them for us as well. And they're throughout Scripture. The four promises are also called the four I wills. And we'll see that in just a moment. And what they are, they're God's intentions uh, for mankind, not just the children of Israel, but right up until today for us. This is what he intends. And let me summarize what those four promises uh, embrace. First of all, that you would be happy. Some of y'all will catch on with me here. Secondly, that you would be stable. Thirdly, that you would be blessed. Uh, Excuse me, my bad. Fruitful. And lastly, that you would be blessed. I waited to make sure y'all had the right answer there. Okay, happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. Well, how am I going to remember those? High school football, okay? So happy, say it with me again. Happy, stable, fruitful, and blessed. And these promises were to them. Those promises have been down through the pike of history and then to us and to your life today. And as a matter of fact, and you'll see this over the next few weeks, virtually every aspect of the, if you will, the programming of this church and the ministries of this church are centered up on these four promises and what God is wanting to do. Now, I want to go back and fill this out because God does not want you just to be happy. And if your goal is happy, that's pretty cheesy. That's pretty selfish. God wants to take you beyond that. He wants you to be happy, stable, fruitful, blessed. But is that the end of it even? No. You are blessed so that you can what? Be a blessing. blessing. Ultimately, what that's going to do is bring glory to God. And that's why we're here is to bring glory to God. So happy, stable, fruitful, blessed so that I can be a blessing and I can bring glory to God with my life. Amen? Now, let's see where we get this from. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, children of Israel still in bondage in Egypt. And it says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, and let me pause just a moment. The children of Israel were special in this right. They were the prototype. They were the example for everyone else that this is what it will look like to live in covenant with God. This is available to all, but he was showing them as a, as a prototype. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and what's the four I wills here? These are the promises. I will, first one, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Secondly, I will rescue you from their bondage. And then thirdly, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And lastly, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So let's look at these and break these down just a little bit. The first cup, the first promise is, I will bring you out, and that's so you can be happy. Now, happy is not the end of it, but how how many of you know that happy sure is a good one to have, okay? How many of you know that it just feels better to feel, it feels good to feel better? You know, and for any relief to come into your life, you just feel better. And and I just, it's a contradiction to me to see sad Christians. I'm just making sure there aren't any in here, you know? Okay, but it's a contradiction. And remember, that doesn't mean life is perfect. We're either up or we're what? Or we're getting up. But, but the, 
direction, trajectory, remember, is, is up. And you can be happy. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy or blessed are those that follow God's way, Psalm 1. And, and so I will bring you out, and the result of that is you can be happy. Now, what's the second one here? I will free you, and the result of that is you can be stable. How many of you know that stable is probably pretty important? And how many of you, if you're flying in an airplane or riding in a boat, you'd prefer that that uh, craft be stable? And the pilot as well, okay? That, that they would be stable. And so I will free you. And what he's talking about, well, let me just shoot to the chase. And I brought it up last week. You've had a week to think about it. All of us have issues. Anybody here admit, I got, I got some issues. Come on. Okay, I'm waiting on you. Uh, how many of you, we've got issues, okay? And if you're sitting here today and say, I don't have any issues, that, my friend, is your issue, okay? <laughs> that you think you don't have any. So... And if we deal with our issues, and we're never done with this until heaven, but we're making progress in this, I will free you. He's going to free us from those things that are messing us up, and that's going to cause you to be more and more stable. And I just see that as vital for everything else, that you are stable in your life and in your Christian walk. The third one is this, I will redeem you. I will redeem you, and this makes you fruitful. Redeem there actually means to put back or to restore uh, it's kind of like this, that God wants to restore you to your factory settings. Because how many of you know you've gotten a little out of kilter, out of sync, and we got to... Uh, my son, Gabriel, he's my youngest son. He's just a whiz, uh, just about everything he does, really. And he is into Rubik's Cubes. H- how many of you know what those are, even? Okay. And, and uh, he's got the 3x3 three three and the 4x4 four four and the 5x5 five five and 6x6, six six, and he's just... You know, and, and it's to get all the colors alike on, you know, on each side and just solid, you know, and I, sometimes I'm just hoping God will come on me and I could, I could just do like he does. And, and he said, dad, it's algorithms. And I go, well, that explains it. Cause I, I found out just this week, I'm allergic to algorithms. So, but anyway, the other day I was picking him up from uh, cross country practice and he'd left one of uh, his Rubik's cubes and he'd finished it. So all the you know, colors the way they're supposed to be on the side. He'd finished it, and I'm just sitting there waiting, so i looking at it. So I just, I'm just going to mess with this a little bit. And, I, and mess was the word. I, mess, I messed it all up. So when he got into the car, I said, hey, hey buddy, uh, I was messing with your Rubik's Cube here. I see that. I, I see that. And in order for, get it, for it to get fixed, I had to put it back in the hands of a master. And for him to fix that. And you know what? We're kind of like that Rubik's Cube. We're just, and as hard as we try, it just, you know, I want to peel the stuff off and, you know, and, and make it happen. But as hard as we try, we're not, we're not, we're not going to be able to make that happen. We're going to have to be put back in the hands of a master who will restore us back to those original settings so we can be fruitful. And it has to do with your gifts. It has to do with your, your uh, abilities and your talents that, who gave you? God gave you. God gave you so that you can be fruitful. And then lastly, and I love this one, I will take you as my own people. That's the greatest fulfillment in life. And that's where you're blessed. And as a result of that, I will bring you out and you can be happy. I will free you. You can be stable. I will redeem you. You can be fruitful. I will take you as my own people. You'll be blessed. And when, you, when that's going on in your life, increasingly and increasingly, you're going to be more and more of a blessing to the people around you, which is part of the reason God left you here after he saved you. And then ultimately with our whole life, we can bring him glory. Amen. Well, that's a message in itself, but we're going to keep going. We've got a little bit more to, to uh, go with on this. 
Let's talk about the first cup today. And this first cup is, I will bring you out. And it is the cup of sanctification or salvation. And we're going to use the word salvation. Everybody say salvation. It is the cup of salvation. And by cup, I just want you to get the imagery of this that God is wanting. He's placing before us something for us to partake of. And what God has put before us is this cup based on his promises that he wants us to receive of, to drink of this cup of salvation. Now, get this real clear, and this is going to be important that we get this this week so that we can stack right in the weeks coming. Salvation, everybody say salvation again. Okay, now look at me for this. Salvation, that's what he wants us to receive. At this point, it's not about fix you up. Okay, this is not about fixing you up. This is just about getting you out. Okay? The fix-up comes later. I'm not going soft on any of this, but do you remember that he had to get them out of Egypt first and then he gave them the law later? Okay? So this is not about fixing us up. This is just about getting us out. This is kind of like, you know, God forbid you wreck your car and the car is starting to be on fire and stuff. We've got to get you out of the car before we start yelling at you about being a better driver. Okay? So we've we got to start there. We've got to get you out first. And that's what God's wanting to do. That's what his salvation is, is to bring you out. And it's not a one-time thing that, you know, when you were in sixth grade and you went to church camp and, and you received salvation. It's something that we live in. And it's something that he continues to do in our life. And how many of you know we wander sometimes? And, and when we wander, God can bring us back out. And I'm so thankful that it's not just three strikes and you're out. I'm thankful that he continues with his salvation. Can anybody say amen on that? He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. And let me clarify this. I'm in no way speaking disparagingly of national Egypt, okay? I'm speaking historically and symbolically. So in Scripture, I'm not talking about today, their people, their government. It's not a commentary on any of, of, of their nation, their people, their government, or anything else, okay? This is for this story out of scripture and it carries over new testament imagery again that egypt represents a kingdom other than the promised land it 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 represents a kingdom other than being under the rule of god it's it's a kingdom of darkness it was for the children of israel it's a kingdom where they were slaves it's a kingdom of under satan and under sin and what god does by salvation is he brings us out Okay, you follow me on that? And so that's what Egypt represents scripturally and historically here for us. So he brought them out again before giving them the law. So salvation here is, is where we're at. Let me, let me give you a little bit more history. There was a guy called Pharaoh. Everybody say Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is not a name. It wasn't a guy's name. Pharaoh is a title. And Pharaoh is a title for a, a king or a ruler in, in ancient Egypt. And there were a lot of pharaohs. As a matter of fact, there's discrepancy in history of just how many pharaohs there were. And some of them had long terms or reigns and some had short ones. Well, there was one pharaoh that was friendly to a guy named Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph coated many colors and a whole story for another day uh, out of scripture. And Joseph, through this long uh, journey, ended up finding favor with pharaoh and elevated to a position of responsibility and and privilege and this pharaoh was very nice he was very kind and benevolent to joseph so much so that he called him joey (laughs) all right i made that up but but it sounded good 
So Pharaoh and Joey, uh, um, he, he was so kind to Joseph. And if you'll remember Joseph's story, uh, the end of, of the book of Genesis, his brother and father came and then their families came. And this Pharaoh was so benevolent to Joseph. He said, hey, have your brothers, your father, their families, their people come. And if you know other people that are great herdsmen and so forth, have them come as well. They're welcome in this land. And they needed to come there because there was famine back in their land. And so initially, Israel coming into, and Israel was a person, coming into uh, Egypt was a good thing. But over time then, uh, Joseph passes. The, the Israelites multiplied incredibly. And there are different pharaohs. And scripture tells us in, in Exodus chapter 1, now there's a pharaoh that does not know Joseph. He does not know Joseph. And this guy is nasty. And he's mean. And he's afraid. He's afraid because he sees all these people that are Israelites. And he's afraid that they're multiplying so much that they're going to take over our nation. They're, going to, they're just going to take over our stuff. And so he began to set taskmasters over them. And you ready for this? He made them slaves. And he burdened their life. And part of his goal, and we'll read a scripture in a moment that pulls it out. Uh, he wanted their life to be bitter. He wanted to just, just weigh them down with this, these heavy, heavy burdens and to afflict them. Let's, let's read here in Exodus chapter 1. Y'all with me this morning? Exodus chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. So they ruthlessly, it's a pretty strong word, made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, this Pharaoh that was evil and and horrible to them, ruthless, he made three decrees. And I want us to look at these decrees. How many of you know that God is way smart? Okay, And you're going to find in Scripture that just about everything connects in one way or another. Now, I believe in heaven we'll probably have a fiber optics Bible. You know, so that you can see. You'll be reading one verse and all these other verses will be lighting up because they're all, they're all connected. God's got it all together, y'all. Okay? Well, these three decrees that Pharaoh made and the end result of them on the children of Israel mirror exactly what the devil and a life of sin will produce in your life. They parallel just exactly. So the first thing, the first decree that uh, Pharaoh had was he forced them as slaves to be slaves and to make bricks. He forced them to be slaves and to make bricks. And as a slave, he took away their freedom. He held down their life. He stripped them of everything. And he told them how to live. They no longer had any rights or freedom at all. And just as Pharaoh wanted to do this to the children of Israel, a life under the devil and under the sin, under sin will do the same thing, and it will make you feel enslaved. It will make you feel enslaved. Look with me in John chapter 8. And this is in the message paraphrase. It's a paraphrase, but I think it brings out some good things. Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, help me, A slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. So the first thing that Pharaoh wanted to impact the children of Israel with is to make them feel enslaved. The second thing was this. He ordered the murder of babies. He ordered the murder of babies, in particular baby boys. This decree first came down at the time of Moses. You remember that? 
Later it happened again at the time of Jesus. Herod issued that same kind of decree that all the boy, male children under two years of age, they were to be slaughtered. Can you imagine? And we think that's horrible, but you know what? It's going on in our culture today. It's going on in our world today, and I'm not trying to be political, but I'm just trying to be right. There's some things that that work and some things that don't work. And I know some things are legal, but that doesn't make them right. And God's law trumps all laws. And so, and let me just say this real quick, because this is not a house of condemnation. If you in any way have had any part, male or female, if you've had any part uh, in abortion, you need to go to God. And you need to get healed of that. And you need to get forgiven of that. And there is healing and there is forgiveness for that. And, and believe that God one day will be able to use you to help some other people. Because our society says there is no toll to it. It's just a matter of convenience and so forth. There's incredible toll And there's studies, and they aren't well published because our secular media hides a lot of things. But the the rate of depression, addiction, and suicide among people who participate in abortion is unreal. And it's because it's against what God intended. Again, not a house of condemnation, but you know what? If you've had any part of that, come to Jesus. Let him heal you. Let him forgive you. Let him help you. Let him restore. Amen? And pray for our leaders that they'll get this one right. Okay? Amen. Now, why order the slaughter of these babies? Here's why. To stop and to destroy any future potential. See, these people were rapidly multiplying and leaders rising among them. And this was to, this was to stop and to destroy any future potential. And guess what? That's what Pharaoh was trying to do in the children of Israel. And, and, and guess what? That's what the devil and sin are trying to do to you. To, to steal, to kill your, your future potential. Seriously. And you know what that does? Same thing as the children of Israel. It makes you feel empty. It makes you feel empty. If there's no hope, if there's no potential for my life, it makes you feel empty. The third decree that Pharaoh pushed down was this, that he required them to gather their own straw. And you'll go, well, what? They were making bricks. And the bricks were made with mud and with straw. And he was previously providing all of this for them. But he just was trying to make their life heavier and harder in every way. Look here in Exodus chapter 5. It says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the taskmasters of the people and the officers went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you, where you can find it. And watch this. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So he multiplied their work and he multiplied their load on them. And what was he trying to do? He's trying to drain them. He's trying to frustrate them. He's trying to discourage them. Ultimately, you know what he was trying to do? He's trying to wear them out. And just as Pharaoh was trying to wear them out, I'm going to tell you a life under the devil and under sin will wear you out. And you will end up, you will feel exhausted. You will feel exhausted. And you know what? We're living in a a, a dynamic of our culture today that we are a tired people. We're an exhausted people. And, And I want to let you know that what you need is real rest. And real rest is not a nap. Real rest is not just to cease from activity. Real rest is a condition of the soul. And it's something that only God can bring to you. And so what what Pharaoh meant for them and what the devil means for us is that you would feel enslaved, that you would feel empty, and you would feel exhausted. And that brings us to what God did for us. Are you with me now? 
We got all the background. And that brings to what God did for them and what God did for us. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And I will bring you out from the heavy burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. Everybody said, I will bring you out. I will bring you out from under the heavy burdens of the Egyptians. And this is what the Jews have marked as the first cup. That's important. The first cup is the cup of salvation that he would bring them out. It's the first I will. It's the first promise that he did. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Drink of the cup of salvation. In John chapter 10 verse 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Notice this. The thief does not come except to do three things. And I think they parallel uh, enslaved, empty, and exhausted. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you and I could have life, y'all. Life, y'all. And to have it more abundantly. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, again in the message. What a God we have. Come on. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts now. And suddenly I don't feel so enslaved. I don't feel so empty. I don't feel so exhausted because we drink of this cup of salvation. Church, can I get an amen this morning? Now, there's two, two questions at least that, that kind of come to my mind. And I'm, I'm kind of a question guy. I ask myself a lot of questions. I think we learn by questions. Jesus led a lot of discussions with questions. And here's a couple of questions. How did we get there in the first place? I told you how Israel got into Egypt in the first place. But how did we get there? The reality, we were born there. We were born into that, uh, that other kingdom. We were born into sin. Are you following me? But think about it in some other ways. You know, we, we, uh, have wandered. We've been led astray. We've rebelled. We followed the wrong things. We got confused. Some people have even been led out and went back. Hello. Children of Israel did it, or they wanted to. They got out of ways, and then they, they got hungry and grumpy. How many of you know that hungry and grumpy go together? That's why immediately following this service, I will be eating. That's why we're feeding the men tonight. But they're hungry, they're grumpy, and a number of other things. And they said, wish we could just go back to Egypt. And you know how soon they forget the weight and the bondage and the, and the, and the lack of peace and, and life that they had, that they had there. So that's a big question, but I think there's a better question, a, a bigger question to be asked, and that's, that's this question. Not, not how did we get in there, but this question. How do we get out? How do we get out? Let me tell you how we get out. He brings us out, and he brings us out, and that is what is called salvation. Now, I've got to draw you back to this again. Please get this. Please get this. Salvation. Say salvation. salvation. Just that. Just that. That's the first cup, okay? And I'm not going light on anything. That's just the first cup. This is just salvation. This is just him to bring you out. This is not, you got to read your Bible, you got to pray more, make sure you're in church, make sure you're a giver, make sure you're serving, make sure you're nice. You know, that's all down the road. Right now, it's just to get you out. You know, just to bring you out. These cups are in sequence. These cups are a progression. 
And the first cup, and you have to receive of the first cup before any of those will even make sense or have power in your life. We have to let God bring us out. And he's the one and the only one that can bring us out. Now, how many of you know that salvation cannot be earned? It cannot be bought. There's nothing you and I can do. There's no class we can take or, you know, thing we can sign up for or money we can send in or if you know somebody or whatever. Um, you know, salvation is a free gift that comes from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't earn this. We can't, we can't do this. But we do have to respond to it. There's a way we can respond. And I just want to show you in terms of them, in terms of us, some ways that we respond. The first one is this. You've got to make the move. Make the move. And here's the Bible word for it. Ready? Repent. Everybody say repent. Now, don't let repent scare you, okay? Because repent, you hear repent, you know, some guy screaming at you with, you know, his veins. Repent! You know, this is not this. The Bible actually teaches that it's the goodness of God that causes us to repent. Well, let me tell you what repent means. It means to change your direction. And so if God's trying to lead us out and we're faced the wrong way, we need to repent. We need to, we need to turn. We need to change our direction. And I've told you this and told you this, and I'll continue to tell you this and tell you this forever. But whenever you're making decisions that take you away from God, or you're going in directions that take you away from God, get this, you will incur damage. You will incur damage. It's going to hurt you physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, uh, and professionally, in every way. You will incur damage when you're going away from the God who loves you and who will help you. And it's not God even afflicting you with that. It's just you're going further and further away from your source and the one who loves you and the one who can help you and, and fill you with life. And so what do we need to do? You need to make the move. Everybody say, make the move. Make the move, make the move and turn and, and, and come back to him. Secondly would be this, let it go. Everybody say, let it go. And by this, I mean surrender, surrender. We talked about it earlier, but we all have issues. We have things in our life that are destructive and we all have things in our life bob your head if i'm telling the truth that that are hindering us and he wants us to let it go you know we've been faced the wrong way doing the wrong things now he's saying turn around this way and now he's saying let go let go of these things i heard about a guy he was uh he was in college college age had no children of his own he was asked to babysit his little niece and she's just a toddler and she can hardly talk, you know, still putting it all together, kind of like my little grandbaby Cora. Got to tell you a quick Cora story. Can we do that real quick? And then we'll come back. Uh, Lee and Katie put her in. They're out in Dallas now. They put her in a little daycare school kind of thing, just a couple hours, a couple mornings of the week. And so they did a test day, and they took her for that. And Katie dropped Cora off, and she didn't even turn back and look. She just went on, you know, went on. So then on her first official day, when she goes in, there's a little girl that's crying over there. Cora didn't even turn around to say goodbye to mom or anything. She went over to the little baby and just hugged her and, and, and cuffed her, huh? Just like her peepaw. It's something else. But... Okay. Back to our story. So this guy is babysitting. He's babysitting his... I, I didn't tell first and second service that story. This guy's babysitting his little niece. He has no children of his own. He's not good at this. And she's kind of wandering around. He gets engrossed in something on TV, probably football. And he's just watching. And all of a sudden, his little niece comes out of the kitchen, just a toddler, just has a few words. And she's carrying a big, sharp knife by the blade. And he looks at her and he goes, oh, no. And it's just like you and I carrying destructive, damaging things, and we're carrying it. And he said, baby, let it go. 
let it go. Get, give it to me. Give it to me. And she wouldn't. She's just babbling on with stuff. Give it to me. Give it to me. She could have hurt herself. She could have hurt others. And finally, he enticed her somehow and got her to let it go. He distracted her and said, here, let me give you some candy. And he got it out of her hand. Well, God's not giving out candy, but he is giving salvation. And I'm just telling you, you're holding on to some things. They'll hurt you. They're going to hurt other people. Let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Let it go. It's to surrender. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead, Jesus said. Let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Follow me and I'll show you. I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. you got to surrender. And you know what? You can trust him. Surrender. So repent. Turn around. Make the move. Surrender. Let it go. And then the third and last one is this. you got to commit your life. Commit your life. And, and what that means is, is this. It's relationship. It's relationship. You know, it, there was a time where I knew I'm going to commit my life, and I hope she will, you know, to my wife. And you have that little discussion. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? I will be your husband. Will you be my wife? You go through the vows of of that. And all of that gets tested over life. But you make that and you you hold on to that. Because it's what? It's relationship. And with God, it's relationship. It's not religion. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with him. And it will be tested. But he will help you with this. And And in doing this, in committing your life, you know what you're doing? You're assigning your heart. You're assigning your life over to God. And God will be faithful in that. He's saying, turn around, let it go, and come to me. And you commit your life to him and enter into that relationship. Let me give you one one verse here, and then we're almost done. Just as you used, this is Romans 6, just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to every increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to to righteousness or God's way leading to holiness. I'll give you one last verse. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it's a question again. What? Read it with me. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we get out of here? What was God's promises? I'm going to bring you out. How shall we get out of here if we neglect or if we ignore such a great salvation? Answer, you can't. You can't. No one can. How can you get out of this without this great salvation? Let me tell you about the great salvation. It's great in that it's awesome, but the word great actually there means vast, which means no matter how bad you've messed things up, no matter how deep you are in the kingdom of darkness, that salvation can get to you and can bring you out. How... How can we escape? The New Living Translation says it this way. What makes you think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? You can't. You can't. What is our only way out? Jesus is your only way out. Listen to me, church. Jesus is your only way out. And I'm not being disrespectful with this, but listen to me. That's the only bus out of town. That's the only train going anywhere. Your only way out is this great salvation. It's this cup that God has put on the table and sliding across and offering to you. That's God's offer on the table is salvation. That I'll bring you out. Hey, fix you up. We'll get to that. All of that's a progression. All of that's in sequence. First thing God's wanting to do is is to have you 
Come out. Come out. He'll, he'll bring you out from under the heavy burden of the Egyptians. You'll end up being happy. I said you'll end up being happy. And as we continue, stable and fruitful and blessed.